And as a Fed insider, you were taught on day one that that is not a subject for you to broach or discuss. Wow. Upon the breakout, gold's going to make a new all-time highs. Gold-backed ETFs in inflows of over $5 billion. $0.8 trillion gold market. Why are we the only guys to see on this Makes your head spin. All right, welcome to Live from the Vault. Uh, my name is Shane Moran. I'll be your host today. And as you can imagine, there's a lot to talk about. Our community keeps growing. We want to thank you from the entire Live from the Vault team worldwide. There's a lot to talk about during these historic times. And Andrew McGuire is in the house. He'll be talking gold with our special guest today, Danielle DiMartino Booth. And Danielle is distinguished by her career on both Wall Street and the Federal Reserve, a long an observer of the financial markets and the economy. She was also daily business columnist at Dallas Morning News, where she garnered international attention for her prescient observation and lack of fear in publishing them. You're not going to want to miss any part of this episode. And just before we get to Talking Gold with Andrew McGuire and our special guest, please keep spreading the word about this channel by liking, sharing, smash that subscribe button, and then click on the bell if you'd like to be notified in real time as these episodes go live. So with that, let's head over to the UK and Talking Gold with the one and only Andrew McGuire and our special guest, Danielle DiMartino Booth. Over to you, Andy. Thanks. And this is actually a real privilege. And uh, Danielle, thank you so much. Um, just so that people know uh, where Danielle is, that she's CEO and founder of Quill Intelligence. But I think I came across her book um, quite a while ago. And, it, and obviously, as a former Fed insider, um, and the, you're the author of Fed Up, um, which is actually a, an Amazon bestseller, I think, which is, but to me, it, without doubt, it, it's the go-to explanation of what really happened to our economy after the Fed's uh, fumbled attempt in 2008 to flood America, hey, the globe, with easy money. So welcome to Live from the Vault, Danielle. It's great to be here. And it, I feel like we could have the same conversation today that we could have had then. It's really funny how life is circular. Well, I, I, I think obviously, you know, I've got a couple of gold questions, but hey, you know, um, it's been 13 years now. I, I was just looking at the calendar today. You made me think about it. 13 years since the Fed fumbled attempt to fix things since 2008. Um, so really, we're, we're, I mean, if you had to distill where we are now, I mean, it's it's phenomenal question. Sorry for that. But I mean, but if you had to distill something, what does the average person i mean when we get right down to the ground what's the average you do an inst you write an institutional letter and you help institutions cope with the uh, ebbs and flows where we you know perhaps how to position yourself but how's the average person what they should be doing what, what are they doing to protect themselves yeah i mean you know actually at quill we've had this flattening call we've been saying that the yield curve is going to flatten and we've been completely contrary to everything on, that, that Wall Street's been saying about the yield curve is going to steepen. And I'm like, there, there's no free lunch here. Uh, I, I think the best way to summarize where we are today versus where we were 13 years ago is that uh, 13 years ago, it was a household balance sheet problem, kind of like what you have in Australia, in the Nordic countries, in Canada. They have serious household balance sheet issues right now. That was kind of the boogeyman going into the, into the great financial crisis. That's been moved. It's been moved over to 
basically every sovereign on the planet, but also the U.S. corporate bond market. And now that's where we've got this ticking time bomb, if you will, of a lot of bad debt that is still sitting in the system festering. And that is why the Federal Reserve had to come out on March the 23rd, 2020, with its guns loaded and we needed the fiscal response of 43.2% of US GDP injected directly and directly deposited into US consumers' checking accounts, which has caused global inflation to go wild. But this is all to try and prevent the corporate debt bubble that had blown up in the aftermath of the financial crisis from itself unleashing systemic risk, just as was the case with the subprime crisis. So that's kind of where we are today. Post-pandemic, the, the bond markets in the United States alone has grown from $11 trillion to $12.5 trillion. Wow. So massive moves that we've seen because the Fed has once again gone down to zero interest rate policy, which never works in the end. I think what, what's interesting, because as you know, we, we, we live and breathe gold and, and, mm -hmm. and obviously it's one of the things that we, we seek to protect our, I mean, we deal with clients, everyone from, from a little guy that stacks, you know, an ounce here to billionaires who, 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 who vault with us in, in, in Liechtenstein to protect, I mean, talk about bail-in, you know, protections, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. So people are seeking all these protections now. And um, so, so really, it, it is interesting what you're just talking about here. And, and you know, what what does what does the average person have to? What, what's the average person have to do to really? What would you suggest how they protect themselves best? Because obviously, stock market seems to be a no-brainer. The Fed seems to be uh, the Fed put seems to make everyone. I mean, I guess if you're a, a money manager, um, you just keep buying and buying and buying because if you're the only guy that, that bought gold. <laughs> and it didn't go up, you'd be fired. And everyone else, even if everyone lost all their money, no one else gets fired, do they? Of course not. No. And, and there's the irony, right? Look, one of the favorite moments of my post-Fed career was interviewing Richard Fisher, who was my boss, who was a known Fed uh, president at the time. And one of the few who, because financial statements are a matter of public uh, record, which we now know, in, um, we, we, we now know because there have been some people who have fallen off the Fed because of this. Uh, but he had substantial holdings in gold. And after we left uh, the Fed, I, I was able to interview him once. And this was when the, the, the stock market was clearly teetering on the brink. And I said, what, how's your portfolio positioned? And he said, well, it's in the fetal position. So, and that means that he owned it a lot more gold. And I, I will say this, if you look back over time at inflationary and deflationary times, Gold has also outperformed, even when inflation wasn't rising, in the event that there was true financial disruption. And the point I'm trying to make is, even though treasuries do tend to be a safe haven asset, as well as gold, when the peanut butter hits the fan, um, gold is the least correlated asset class in existence. And what we saw in March of 2020 was that the, that the Treasury bond, the long bond, actually froze up in trading in, in Asian trading overnight. So I think that people have even started to question the sanctity of the risk-free asset class, that label that's given to Treasuries because the United States government's been been really spending like a drunken sailor. So, uh, so. You know, when I talk to people about gold and the fact that it has been a fairly dormant asset class in a post-Bitcoin 
uh, era, I, I say to them, don't ever let go. Be bold with your gold and make sure that it's a large part of your portfolio because it will protect you when Bitcoin won't, which is highly correlated with the S&P 500. So even though Bitcoin enthusiasts advertise it as being an, an inflation hedge, I, you know, I, I say to them, can we please wait until the regulators internationally figure it out and then see what they have to say about it in terms of tax policy and what have you? Can we wait until the regulators figure out what Bitcoin is and what cryptocurrencies are before we say that the juries come back prematurely? But by the way, don't let go of your gold. Yeah, that's interesting because there's, there's so much discussion. About, and, and I hear you. You know what? 5,000 years of history. Uh, I mean, it'll still essentially... I mean, I look at fiat currencies as the things moving. Gold is the rock and fiat currencies rise and fall against and, and, and fiat currencies come and go. Um, and especially when you've got this kind of level of debasement, probably probably very close to what happened in Rome. Um, and and I think it's interesting you just mentioned about Bitcoin, um, because I think. I, I, I agree. I don't think anyone, the government, governments haven't got their head around this yet. Um, don't you think the on and off ramps to me are the areas that I worry about? Oh, absolutely. And, 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 and again, if you look at how and where and if, if you look at the correlations with Bitcoin, that's what should be disturbing because you want you want asset classes that are going to move against the go-go asset classes again when when the moment of disruption arrives you don't want something that speculators look at as being a speculative part of their portfolio i mean i've heard financial advisors recently say well you know it's it's a really it's a really speculative asset class you know maybe limit limit your holdings to five percent and i'm saying but we're being told that it is the next coming of christ even though since the fall of rome we've had reserve currency status change only one way Currency war followed by trade war followed by hot war. That's how, at least to your point, five thousand years of history. By the way, preceded by income inequality, and that's that's how and why Rome fell. It wasn't just a matter of debasement of its currency; it was also inequality, the likes of which the world has never seen. You had to have the combination of those two for Rome to fall, and you can draw a few parallels with the United States right now. Not saying the reserve currency status is at risk at the moment or that it's imminent but i'm saying that we certainly are following the roman script well that's interesting because and and this is something that that um i get a lot of questions on and and it'd just be interesting your take here uh, as jamie demon as we call him uh heads uh and a whole cohort of the insider banking cable head to basel uh switzerland for their bi-weekly meetings uh, and i wondered if you had any insights into the relationship between the Fed and the Bank of International Settlements. And do you see a possible divide between, ultimately between the Fed and the ECB's objectives? So, you know, it's, it's interesting because right now what we're witnessing on an international level is a lack of coordination that does not have precedent. So we are used to the BIS being the arbiter we're used to the Federal Reserve being the leader and the rest of the world being followers. And it's fascinating that you bring up the BIS because they've just released a paper that has the words, the hall of mirrors in it and talks about the level of 
the lack of coordination right now and the fact that it looks like the Fed does not know what it's doing in terms of making monetary policy. And this is why it is so divergent with other central banks. This is why we're seeing different types of communications. I mean, there's something called the Group of 30. We're supposed to be coordinated here, people. The, the Group of 30 exists for a reason. The Group of 30 is more powerful than the BIS. And, and yet we see an extraordinary lack of of coordination between central banks. This is certainly not what we saw in the aftermath of the financial crisis when we saw them moving in sync in lockstep. So it is, to me right now, it is absolutely fascinating. And the thing that viewers outside of the United States should pay attention to, if you can go back and watch Jay Powell's last press conference after the FOMC meeting, the press has become combative. The press is normally, they'll throw softball questions out there, make it easy for, and then he reads his scripted responses. Inflation's become so bad in America that, that, that he's going to have to abandon his maximum inclusive employment mandate. And he's, somebody, whoever's running the Fed next is going to have to pay heed to the fact that inflation is front and center now, and you cannot ignore it. Right before we started taping, you told me about Jim Bullard. Again, there's... There's not just dissent amongst central banks worldwide. There's massive dissent inside the Fed as well right now. Extraordinary times we're in. Wow, that's really interesting. That's a great insight because, again, you've been, you know, you, you, you've been close to this. And, and, you, and you've, as you say, had relationships with uh, Fed, uh, Fed uh, governors, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, and I think what you've just kind of made me think about was, again, we're talking about recent um, Last week's CPI print, I mean, I mean that was that was the catalyst as far as gold is concerned. As far obviously, and I'd like to tell you get your intake, your your wider view of that. But as far as gold is concerned, it was like March 2020 in a sense. I didn't mind my gold holdings improving. I didn't. It, it was yeah. it was fine with me too. So <laughs> it's, it's not fine for the country for for gasoline to be headed to five dollars a gallon. It's it's certainly not fine for. For you know the average working Joe in America or Jane, it's just it, 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 it's it's an unmitigated disaster, and it is so patently apparent that the Fed is behind the curve on this, and it's becoming a source of embarrassment. And again, that is why I think the media and politicians. When was the last time you heard a politician come out and say the Fed needs to tighten monetary policy? That's not even in in, in your average politician's DNA, but that's how corrosive the situation is even if we're starting to see inventories rebuild, even if we've already seen the turn in shipping rates and freight rates, we may have relief coming here in the next nine to 12 months in terms of input costs. China's economy is still at a 30 year low. They can paint their data any way they want, but we may actually have relief on many levels when, when it comes to inflation. But you cannot take the, put the genie back in the bottle when it comes to what's happened to U.S. housing and what's happened to rents and leases that are 12 and 18 months. And the fact that this is going to percolate through the inflation data for much longer than I think any Fed official is comfortable with without saying, you know what, like Jim Bullard, it's time to hurry up with the taper. We need to expedite and accelerate the process. We need to be in the business of tightening policy. We need to be in the business of raising interest rates. We need to get past this taper and get past it quickly. Yeah, and as you rightly say, you know, rents, leases, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, so it blows that transitory meme right out of the water, doesn't it? I mean- Absolutely. Yeah. 
So this, that's really interesting. And, and I think <clears throat> as far as I, I almost see, from, it made me think, because when you were talking about March 2020, um, it made me think about what a similar setup this is from, from our gold perspective, from our gold silver investment perspective, where we saw silver rise 18 bucks, we saw gold rise hundreds of dollars uh, from that level. And I think today and the last couple of days, I've noticed that We've seen that when I always watch the correlations, the FX correlations, and, and obviously gold and silver are foreign exchange crosses, right? So your long gold, short dollar, long dollar, short gold. And, and what's interesting is it tells me that there's a physical side to this market is that we see gold rising with the dollar. That's interesting. That's unusual. Uh, because, yeah. Because as a, it's, it's 10 times larger than what, what happens on the over the counter market, it's 10 times larger, right? Look at gold right now in the Aussie dollar. It's extraordinary. Yeah. Something is happening underneath the, 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 the top of the water. There, and, and I think that that something is potentially going to be a change of leadership at the Fed and that this has created a massive source of nervousness in the market. And that, I think, is what you've begun to witness uh, the, the Biden administration has been saying, and other people who are involved in making this decision have been using words like the decision's imminent. Uh, so markets are extraordinarily nervous and with good reason, uh, because change at the Fed is never welcome and the ripple effects globally could be enormous. So is is Powell uh, is Powell's job in, in, in danger? I mean, he, he seemed to be very... He seemed to be very uh, unruffling of feathers in his last comments. He's very measured in his replies, and it's not so much, uh, and, and he's, he's actually acquiesced to the fact uh, that inflation has to be heated. So it's not necessarily his views as a central banker. It's the fact that he's, you know, th that certain senators, Elizabeth Warren being the main one who's, who, who, who called Jay Powell a dangerous man, won his head on a platter. So, you know, Biden is having to pick and choose right now where he uses his very, very limited political capital as his approval ratings collapse. And so he's he's having to find a way to get allies within Congress that he needs so badly. So maybe Jay Powell's going to be the fall guy. Maybe he'll be sacrificed in order to try and get this next two trillion dollars worth of spending pushed through Congress. We don't know. But it's it's very Game of Thrones right now, and I think markets are on edge because they sense that there's change in the air. Wow, goodness me! I mean, and it is it is um, mind blowing. So what we're seeing here, I, I mean, so so ultimately, um, to me, I mean, I always look at what's the bottom line. What do I? Where do I fit in? What do I have to do in this situation? And, and I look and I see, well, hang on a minute, the Fed must be transiting into a new monetary system as well. We see central bank controlled digital currencies coming. Um, and that would be the ability to impose negative interest rates on us. Um, essentially, bail-ins are a bit onerous at this point. And, and most of my clients who, who are in the billionaire status literally are hide, trying to find jurisdictions uh, like Liechtenstein um, where not even Switzerland anymore, but places like Liechtenstein, where they can feel that they are one degree separated from a bail-in. Um, 
And that is why I'm going back to what we were just talking about a second ago. Uh, Jay Powell has held the line and said that, that he's still not convinced about the efficacy of a central bank digital currency. And that's because he has conservative roots and he is, is fiscally a conservative person by nature. And if you think about a central bank digital currency and the potential that it has to become a conduit for universal basic income, thereby setting off hyperinflation potentially, that is why there is such, again, nervousness around who is going to be the leader of the Federal Reserve? Is it going to be somebody who doesn't fall back on the excuse, if you will, of China having a central bank digital currency, meaning that for matters of national security, the United States has to go down that path as well? You have to have a strong enough leader to say, not until we can design a central bank digital currency that is in conjunction with the private sector, that is not only a public vehicle, that is not potentially a means by which to, to render a capitalist nation into a socialist nation. And I, I think that that, again, is where all of this nervousness is in the market right now, because there is such concern that if you don't hold this line in the sand and you cross that Rubicon, that the implications could be, could be dire and could be vast, despite the fact that the people who are proponents of central bank digital currency talk about the unbanked. And we're digitizing. Financial, financial transactions are digital. There are many, many innovative ways for unbanked, which didn't exist even two or three years ago, to gain access to the ability to transact, tr transact digitally. So this idea that we have to have a central bank digital currency to accomplish this feat, it, it's false. It's a false narrative and it's a red herring. And so again, the nervousness in the markets is because we want to avoid going down this path, in my view. Now that's, that is really interesting. Obviously we're, we, we, you know, we're very much into, um, um, you know, looking at gold and digitizing gold and, and, and putting it on the blockchain and finding ways of, of actually, um, you know, using it as money again. And but the thing is, I, I think um, I, I guess really my question to you being close to being in a uh, Fed insider, so to speak. Um, and I think we mentioned before we started recording that really the Fed doesn't care about gold. And and uh, but I was going to ask you a question of, um, you know, it, 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 I guess it raises the question, how does the Fed value gold? It has to have a value on gold. And and obviously, uh, I guess, really, the other part of the question is Congress and Mooney, for example, questioned the Fed demanding transparency uh, of the Treasury's gold positions. Obviously, it's, it's the, the Treasury holds the gold positions. Um, and they're just questioning if, if any of this 8,100 odd tons had been leased or swapped or rehypothecated no response. Do you think that, that uh, if the gold is there, uh, which it probably is in physical form, has it been rehypothecated? Or? Uh, you know, I can't answer the question and because I, I, I truly don't know. I can only tell you that as, as a former Fed, ins, Fed insider, I can tell you that the subject of gold never came up in nine years. Wow. I mean, and yet... I mean, came up. And it, it, it's, it's, it's interesting because um, 
the first thing that you're told when you get to the Fed is that monetary policy acts with a lag. So that's the first lesson you're told, the lag, 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 lag. The second lesson you're told is the dollar, the subject of the dollar, mere mention of the dollar, you're basically getting fired. It is purely the Treasury's purview. It is the Treasury's purview to speak about the dollar. And as a Fed insider, you were taught on day one that that is not, is not a subject for you to broach or discuss. Wow. I, again, this is a revelation. And, and I think, um, I mean... Well, that was, why, that, that was why Janet Yellen got in trouble as Treasury Secretary for talking about inflation. Because right. she was crossing the line going the other direction. And the Treasury Secretary is not supposed to talk about monetary policy. Okay, so she, she got out of the box she should have been in. So interesting. In, in the past, I don't know if this is something that um, you'd be aware of, but um, when we look at where, you know, we always think, well, wh where is the value of gold? What, what should the value of gold be? Uh, and obviously it, it's something that the, the Fed must think about. They, they have to think about it. I mean, they valued their 8,000 odd tons at 40 bucks, 42 bucks or whatever it is. I mean, clearly, um, if you did what you did uh, when you revalued it um, back in the, in the 30s, uh, revalued it by 69% at that point, uh, what did you do? You, you created the ability uh, to, um, to, to, to create more money. And, and I'm just wondering if that's the next, um, you know, if they're actually probably or, or would be thinking about revaluing gold at some point. Again, that, that would not be something that would be allowed by the Fed. That would be something that would be the Treasury's call. Okay, so so there is so the Fed really and the Treasury do, are completely. Again, I, I'm well, 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 no, 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 no. Don't put words in my mouth. <laughs> we saw in the bailout of of March of 2020 when the Fed was uh, provided some convenient off balance sheet vehicles for the purpose of bailing out the corporate bond market. Uh, but th that that broke the Federal Reserve Act of 1913. That actually broke the law. So they had to set up off balance sheet vehicles on the Treasury's balance sheet in order to get that done. I would I would argue that we're at a point where we need to have another 1951 Treasury Federal Reserve Accord and reseparate the two entities because they're designed to be independent of one another. When they start to work in conjunction with one another, that is in violation of the U.S. law. Interesting. Well, that's what happened during World War Two. Right. The Federal Reserve was effectively conscripted to hold the 10-year rate at a very low level in order to finance World War II. And then William McChesney Martin, my hero, the best, well, Paul Volcker and him are pretty close together. William McChesney Martin said it, it's the Fed's job to remove the punch bowl just as the, just as the party's getting started. So, you know, um, but they divorced once World War II ended and they know, and, and fed, fed, the Fed was able to go back to being an independent arbiter of monetary policy. That's what happened. But we're back to where we were during World War II, except there's no war going on, because the Treasury and the Fed appear to be attached at the hip. And a lot of the nervousness again in the market is because investors are feeling this threat of the the lack of a divorce between 
Treasury and the Fed and what that could mean. But what's going to happen if something goes wrong again? Is the Fed going to start to buy the S&P 500 index funds like Japan or the Swiss? Is that the next step? So there's nervousness and there's nervousness for good reason. And the Federal Reserve and Treasury should be separated and independent of one another. And and who is going to um, force that issue? I mean, who audits that? That's a very good question because there's very little political will right now to even name. There, 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 there's four empty seats effectively by the end of January, and you can't even get one name out of the Biden administration. So uh, it is monetary policy right now. The policy that the Treasury Department is is deploying, international policy, what we're doing with China, you name it. The United States right now appear, appears to be very rudderless. The United States right now appears to be very leaderless. We had an important election in the state of Virginia and mm. and a Republican won who was not expected to win. And the Economist uh, produced a poll a few days ago that said that the majority of Americans are moderates right now and they want to be in the center. And that's being ignored by the rudderless politicians who've all got their agendas and can be very destructive to the economy, but they're not listening to the people. So right now in the United States, we're living in very, very tempestuous times. Yeah, and and and, and I think um, I, I think what what is interesting me from from a gold perspective again is that we have a, we're very close to <clears throat> the wholesale markets. What's going on? And we see um, we are guaranteed that we know. That um, and apart from what's being reported, with, uh, for example, Russia uh, upping their their um, gold their gold reserves openly going, Many countries have that. yeah, yes, swapping their dollars for gold, um, buying all the literally building their reserves. Uh, we we pretty darn sure uh, from our contacts in uh, in China that probably uh, China probably has closer to twenty twenty five thousand tons of gold probably unrehypothecated. Um, and, and I think you know, it would be amazing to me, uh, and this is where I think the BIS comes in with this Basel III um, mandate, which is the NSFR standards, which basically say, look, you know, unallocated gold is a risk, is a massive risk. We're gonna remove the 50, for 50% haircut. And we're gonna, in other words, unless you've got physical gold, uh, you are you, you basically have to roll this onto your balance sheet as a as a liability. So really, what we're, we're hearing for the first time in 50 years since since Nixon took <laughs> gold off the dollar peg, um, hey, we want it, we want a, a gold price, and I, and it seems to me that the BIS is kind of going the Europe way rather than the US way and saying, you know what, um, we would be better off with with an actual gold backed currency. So it's interesting that you're mentioning that Fed has no interest in in this um, in, in in gold. It has not traditionally been a subject that even comes up. They they sit around arguing about the most mundane, arcane things you could possibly ever imagine, which you you've you've read Fed up you you, you know about. So you know, changing one word in the Federal Reserve statement can take three hours of deliberations in, in the Eccles Building and during an FOMC meeting. It's just absolutely ridiculous. But to your point. When you just walk me through what you were just saying, I reiterate, currency war, trade war, hot war. Because you are describing the 
underpinnings of, you know, I, I ask people all the time and they, they reply very quickly. If Germany had to choose, which country would they side with if they were forced to choose? If Germany had to choose, which country provides more economic benefit? And right now, I don't think that uh, I, I don't think that anybody can answer that with certainty. Yeah, and I think I, I, I hear what you're saying, and, and it it rhymes with what we're hearing: being exposed to Europe, being exposed to uh, the, to Asia, and uh, and some of the big players there. It rhymes. I, I was I, I was in Italy for ten days, and I was in France for two days, and I can tell you that that the level of fiscal spending in the United States that has unleashed global inflation is not making people happy. That's how much money our government spent. You know what, uh, Danielle, I, I, I honestly think we <laughs> could keep this going. You've, you've been very generous with your time here and, and I really appreciate it. And, and I think it would be nice to circle back um, as we sort of head into the new year and see what has rolled out here because as you say my god what you just described that, that's tectonic there's some tectonic changes going on four empty seats on the federal reserve board two presidents who don't two federal reserve districts who don't have presidents we're at a time of very low leadership levels and an administration that appears to be paralyzed and so this, this, this is just, it, it, it's, it, it, it is with good reason that markets right now are extraordinarily nervous because it's supposed to be BIS arbiter, Fed leader, rest of the central bank's followers. And that's not happening right now. And, and a very last question, a cheeky one. Do you like silver? <laughs> I own silver. Oh, yes. And, and which do you yes. see as, which, which, I mean, obviously I see gold as, Gold as as money, silver for spending, really. So, what, what, how do you um, how do you I mean, are you favoring um, silver? I, I see gold as my ultimate hedge, but I also I also view silver as as having very uh, very ideal industrial properties. Yeah. Uh, in addition to it being a store of value, so I, I like the fact that it's dual faceted in nature. I mean, technology is not going to continue becoming you know more technological. So the, the need for certain metals is not going to be reduced as a factor of time. It's going to be increased as a factor of time. So I'm a pragmatic investor. And that's I, I see silver as being a pragmatic holding. And, and probably one of the most undervalued commodities on the planet. Earth. Oh, gracious. Yes. I think I think we all know that. Yeah. Well, that's good. And I mean, we, we've, we've got to get the retail investor out of the out of some of these markets. Yes. Because the retail investor can throw things around and they don't understand what they're dealing with. And, they, you know, they're playing with GameStop one day and silver the next. And they're completely I mean, it's just the retail investor, which was not present in 2017, is very present today. And I think that that is confusing the, 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 the traditional views that we should have of gold and silver because of the craze of the, the Reddits, the chat rooms, the, um, the, the meme stock trading. It, it's, it's, it's definitely added an element of, of confusion, cryptocurrencies. So uh, no, but silver is a good pragmatic hold. There's nothing cheeky about that. It's, it's a, you, you asked me a practical question and I gave you a practical answer. I think that's great. Uh, I think what you're right. You've named the problem. The name of the problem is is that people that come into the casino borrow money off the house, try and trade, uh, try and trade silver, 
And, and I think uh, probably 90% of them lose all their money in, in 90 days. And, and it's just one of those, one of those uh, markets where you've got position concentration. I worked with the CFTC. I worked with Bart Chilton. I, worked, I was a whistleblower um, working with the CFTC since 2010, exposing uh, spoofing, market manipulation, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And, and the thing is, one thing that came out, and, and Bart Chilton, bless his soul, before he died, um, did say that there was up to 40% position concentration by JP Morgan, by one single bank. And now, obviously, you know, now the, the position concentration question hasn't gone away completely either. And, um, and so really, basically, if you are a speculator, and, and I hear what you're saying, if you're a speculator, you get in the market, you borrow money from the casino, they know where your stops are, you'll be taken out. The house always wins. Always. Always, or at least ninety-five percent of the time, and they'll leave five percent for for any good casino. Leave you five percent. <laughs> that's not going to change the fact that silver is still a core holding. Absolutely. Thank you so much for that. And you know what? Um, that's a lovely place to end. And um, thank you for for joining us on live from the vault. I had a great time. Thank you for your time, Andy. Thank you.